My Car Guru, episode 217. Yes, this is a fresh episode of My Car Guru. Thanks for tuning in. This is Lenny Lawson, your connection to a better car life. My hotline number is open and available for text messages or calls, 423-552-2020. I've had some very nice folks um, over the last week or so send me some messages that they need some assistance with this or that with regards to their cars. Sometimes it's old cars. Like today, I had a gentleman that had a um, trying to decide whether to restore his 69 Ford Torino and found out some details about the car that would make it a possible restorable project. What would determine that in your mind? What if it's a four-door? Eh, nope. What if it is the base engine, you know, just like a small inline six-cylinder? Eh. So I think you're catching on. It's got to be somewhat rare. This is, it's a, four, it's a Torino GT, which if it says GT on it, then that was Ford's kind of high-performance label that they would put onto things. So uh, like a Mustang GT or a Torino GT, so forth, or an LTD GT. Well, I don't think they had an LTD GT. That would just be way too many letters. What's GT stand for? That's right, Grand Touring. You guys are so smart. Um, So... You know, his, his phone call involved whether to restore a car. I like that. I, I enjoy uh, going through that process with owners. You know, just trying to impart a little logic on the discussion. Because sometimes logic is uh, the least thing that people want to talk about because of all the emotion that gets wrapped into things. You know, I had it. I had it a couple weeks ago. I, I confessed that I was thinking about going from my travel trailer to a Super C-class motorhome. So a C-Class is just basically a van body, could be a truck too, could be a truck body, that is cut off at the back of the cab, and then you have the camper part, the part you live in behind it. It is, you know, drivable, and you can actually pull a car behind or whatever. So a Super C is, instead of just having a a small truck, it is a heavy-duty beast. The one I was looking at is actually made by Freightliner. And so I was going to be driving like a, you know, a tractor trailer rig. And it was pretty long. I think it was like 38 feet long. Well, I needed some logic. So I talked to my wife. She imparted it. Boy, did she ever. That was a uh, short discussion. And and I was glad I had it. I think that uh, too often we male folk don't consult the women folk before we make a a decision. We accuse them of making emotional decisions. What a crock. We're the ones that make the most emotion. And, and you know, our emotional decisions are way more expensive. Right, women? I think you would agree. So anyway, take advantage of uh, my connection uh, because I have been in the car business for 44 years, going on 45, getting ready to have a birthday this month. I'll be the big 6'6". Six, six. Um, but you can get me at mycarguru2020 at gmail. That's my email address or my cell phone, 423-552-2020, also known as the Guru's Hotline. So uh, I had a customer come in and was talking to my sales manager. He's also a uh, radio show listener. He listens to this as a radio show rather than a blog or a, what do you call it, podcast, yeah. And he said, how come Lenny is so anti-EV? 
So let me clarify. I'm not anti-EV. I'm just not, we're just not ready for nationwide adoption of EV. Now, will we be? Maybe. You know, there's some competing technologies out there. The primary one is hydrogen. So, you know, hydrogen, when you burn hydrogen, just water comes out the tailpipe, and the environmentalists really love that. But we're we're just not there. I know Honda has experimented a lot with hydrogen, and there's there's some companies out there that are spending billions of dollars to try to perfect hydrogen. But it looks like hydrogen-powered vehicles are going to be limited to the commercial side of things. So like uh, big rigs, uh, big heavy-duty equipment, because the energy that can be developed and the torque that can be developed is much greater, and then you have storage tanks where you can hold the fuel. Whereas when you're charging a battery, you just, you know, when you're out, you're out, and you got to go plug back in. With hydrogen, you just hook up a hose and pour more hydrogen in it, liquid hydrogen in it. So much better, kind of like gasoline, except doesn't produce, you know, the bad stuff out the tailpipe that makes everybody so irate. So I'm not anti-EV. I like driving them, okay? They're kind of fun, interesting. The instant torque is great. Um, The quietness is great. So does that sound like I'm downing them? No. Um, They handle well, drive well. They're heavy, so that's a downside of batteries, but that they may change that when they come up with solid-state batteries. They're supposed to be lighter and more compact. But my big uh, gripe is just the charging. You know, it's a, it's a lifestyle change, really. I mean, you think about traveling down the road, and, you know, you've got to, you've got to think about, you get look ahead and see if they have charging stations at this next exit. And if they don't, well, you hopefully you have enough range to get to the following exit. Hopefully they have charging stations there. And then when you get there, you know, there's a line of people waiting to charge. That's my beef. Okay, so anti-EV, you know, the infrastructure is just not there. Charging time is not good. So my, my, my compliment to electric vehicles is just the smoothness and, you know, the technology. I'm kind of a techno geek. I like that. Um, I do like the way a... You know, a 5 Mustang sounds out the tailpipe, you know, the rumble. We won't have that with electric vehicles. You just get a subtle whine. But, uh, you know, we're I guess we're headed there, so I better get on board or get off. I still have to make a decision by December 4th if I'm going to get on with Ford Motor Company in, in terms of being an EV dealer. I don't know that I really have a choice. I mean, if I'm afraid if I don't jump in, and become certified EV dealer, then it's three years before I have another opportunity to get in, according to Ford. And in the meantime, I just sell you know gasoline-powered and, and hybrids, which that's what I make my living on anyway. I do not anticipate selling a bunch of EVs over the next three years. Um, but you know, I'm just not, I'm also one of those guys that doesn't want to come in at the tail end of something. And th- this is coming, and the other technology of hydrogen is not, you know, in any anytime soon. Gasoline vehicles are still going to be around. And but I just uh, you know, I just I think I this what bothers me is that maybe if I don't sign up now that Ford is not going to be as nice when we when we sign up the next time and they'll jack the cost up on us and the requirements and all that kind of stuff. So, I don't know, there's so many things in the pipeline and they're all just coming at us at a rapid pace if 
you know, a different party takes control, like in, in the elections. Um, I'm talking about primarily presidential election. We know what's happened with the, the Congress and all that. But with the presidential, you know, they had controlled so many different agencies in the government, like the EPA and the FTC and the SEC and all these uh, different agencies. And, and they, you know, they can make a lot of decisions without going through Congress, unfortunately. And so, you know, I don't think, I wish more stuff would have to go through the deliberative body of Congress, uh, and I wish they could get along and find out a way to work together. I was listening to Bill Lee speak on a uh, Ben Shapiro podcast. You ever listen to Ben Shapiro? What I always do when I listen to Ben is I, I, they give you the option on, on um, iTunes where you can actually slow him down a little bit. So I put him on three-quarter speed because I can't understand him. But uh, Bill Lee was being interviewed. It was a good, long interview. I'd recommend that you listen to the uh, – you have to be able to download Ben Shapiro podcast and just do – or just Google Ben Shapiro Bill Lee interview, and maybe you can get it that way. Just really proud to have a guy that thinks like that as the governor. And, um, you know, if he's for real, which I think he is, then, man, maybe he should run for president. Pretty awesome. Okay, anyway, I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. In the headlines, folks, I I think it's worth noting that used vehicle prices are doing something that they haven't done in about two years. That's right. They're sliding, starting to go down. So you may want to think if you're in the market, you think you're going to be in the market maybe the first of the year or end of the spring. Uh, your used car is not going to be worth as much then as it is now. Supplies of new vehicles are improving. We have had dramatic increases in shipments, and so we are very grateful for that. Uh, we're still not going to have huge inventories. I think those days are over, at least for a while. But, uh, you know, when you look at when I say me or us, I'm talking about dealers in general. Of course, at Gateway, we, we represent Nissan and Ford. Both of those are expanding as far as shipments are concerned. It's good to see. I don't know where they're getting the chips from, but they're getting them. So as that availability improves, then prices will mitigate some. There's still a lot of dealers that are getting um, over MSRP for a lot of vehicles, and totally understandable because that's they haven't been able to get stuff, and you know they're able to sell vehicles to other dealers for thousands and thousands of dollars over MSRP in different areas of the country. I get emails every day. Uh, they can, they go online and they check out my inventory and they say, you want to sell this? You want to sell that? You want to, you know, and they'd start offering money over MSRP or some cases just over invoice. And it's very appealing to do that, except that's not my game plan. My game plan is to, is to sell those cars locally, you know, so that they become customers and happy customers and service customers. And we have a long-term relationship. That's what we're all about. And that's what most dealers should be about. But when you are out of inventory, you've got no choice but to go out and buy it from somebody who has it. Uh, Because of the declining uh, prices, the stock values of companies like Vroom, that's V-R-O-O-M, and Carvana, or Carvana, however you want to say it, their their situations look pretty bleak. I mean, Vroom lost $51 million in the last quarter. So a lot of that has to do with um, the inability to get used vehicles, which I think will improve some as new new vehicle inventories improve. Carvana lost five hundred and eight million 
in the last quarter, 10 times what Vroom lost. So what's going to happen to Carvana? You know, they're the people that have the the used car vending machine and that they deliver vehicles to your home and, and so forth. Well, that model doesn't work in the um, environment that we have right now because they are totally dependent on, upon the used car market. They don't have new car franchise. Uh, they don't have any way to get inventory except to buy it at auctions or buy it from people who want to sell their vehicles through their website. And a lot of people have, but they're suffering and, and they may not make it. Um, in other news, I sound like a news reporter, don't I? VW, Stellantis, and General Motors. Stellantis sells Jeeps and Chrysler products and so forth. Uh, and GM have hit the pause button on Twitter. You know, Elon Musk bought that company and is taking it private. And you may never use Twitter. I never did. I, I've turned. I started. Uh, well, I downloaded the app and started paying attention to Twitter a little bit because I just wanted to see what was going on with Elon. And um, he's screwing up, I think. I mean, he is not that he's not going to improve, I guess, that make it uh, more palatable for people of all political persuasions to use it and feel welcome instead of worrying about getting banned. Um, He is now threatening his advertisers that if you stop advertising on Twitter, then we may boycott your products or we will arrange to have your products boycotted. That just seems weird. That'd be like WCYB, our local TV, or C, sorry, NBC affiliate, to call and threaten me if I decided not to advertise on them for a month or two. That wouldn't be wise. All that would make me want to do is say, well, I'll see you later. Probably never. So, you know, who is Elon Musk? Well, for those of you who don't know, he has, owns Tesla. Well, he's the majority shareholder in Tesla. It's what made him a multi-billionaire. Uh, and I think at one point, yeah, he's probably the richest man in the world as long as Tesla stock is valued where it is. But he's also launching rockets up to the space station and wants to go to Mars and, you know, form another colony up there. I don't know why he would want Twitter, but he had enough money to do it, I guess, or borrowed enough money to do it. And now he's going to run off all of his advertisers, especially the auto company. So I don't know how you feel about that, but I think it's not a wise move. You know, sometimes you just have to settle down, and you have to sell yourself. And I don't think you do that through fear and intimidation. I know it doesn't work. Well, it works for some dealers, I guess, when people come in to buy cars. You know, I train my salespeople or have many times over the years about selling 101. You know, what were the basic things that you had to do to be a successful salesperson? And I think once you have the basic product knowledge that you need and you know, you're a personable person. You you know, you respond really well to strangers. You're not embarrassed to, to strike up a conversation with somebody you've never seen before. You know, there's certain personality traits that work well in the car business, and that's one of them. But I, I've always told them that there are three sales that have to be made in any sales transaction. The first one, you have to sell yourself. The second one, you have to sell your business or the dealership that you're working for. And the, the third thing you have to sell is the product. Now, They don't always happen in that order. But if you're going to be successful selling, they all have to happen. Now, first you have to think about, okay, how does how do these any of these three things, my me, the the dealership or the product, benefit the customer? Because the customer probably doesn't need a new friend, you know, but you have to make them want to make you a friend if you're selling them a product. Um, 
you know, hopefully if you end up selling them a car, you, you'll be sending them Christmas cards, you know, a, a one-year birthday for their car. Uh, you'll be making their service appointments for them when they call in and they, they need something automotive. You want to be their go, go-to guy. You want to be their car guru. That's the concept that I train my salespeople. So selling yourself, you know, you have to dress right. Your appearance has to be nice and neat. Of course, you know, that, that certainly has changed over the years, hasn't it? I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people have come in with these big things stuck in their earlobes, you know, and, and I've looked at them and I said, okay, so you want to get in the car business, you want to sell cars, and you're going to be talking to a lot of people that are my age. And they look at people who do stuff like that as a little bit crazy, and even though they're probably not, you know, they just want to be different or whatever. And, you know, if they have nose rings and, you know, diamond stud in their nostril or lip or something like that, or maybe their tongue pierced, that's not going to go over real well with all demographics. I think you kind of have to be a little bit vanilla, don't you? You know, just not too radical. Now, you know, as far as hairdos and, and what people wear, that changes some. But still... You don't want anything that you're wearing to be controversial. And so that it's but selling yourself is much more than what you wear and how you look. It's it's more about what comes out your mouth and high I mean eye contact. Um, you know, being polite, opening the doors for the ladies, uh, offering people something to drink. You know, just be I don't know. I've talked to them about making it like somebody's coming to your house, and you know you want them to be comfortable. You're going to offer them something to drink. You're going to offer them uh, some cookies or something. You're going to be nice, make them feel welcome. That will make the customer feel better about you personally. Nothing makes them feel better about you personally than your knowledge, though, what you know, how you answer their questions, how you listen to them. You know, when they ask a serious question about a car, you need to come back with a serious answer. Nobody likes a smart aleck when it comes to selling or sarcastic answers. Uh, these are all kinds of things that, that um, help build your image in the eyes of the customer. So you do have to sell yours. And then you have to be able to sell the value of your business. You know, why buy from you? Because there are a lot of different choices, right? I mean, if you can buy a Chevrolet at at, I don't know, 50 different dealerships in East Tennessee. But what makes your dealership special? What unique offerings? Do you have a lifetime powertrain warranty? Do you offer free maintenance? Uh, do you, I don't know, offer free loaner cars or whatever? There are many different things at a dealership. Do you have a Starbucks, you know, in your lobby? Are your waiting rooms nice? Are your service people friendly? Do you have a service drive-through, or is it you know? Do you have to park your car and then walk in and in, in a, you know a torrential rain to be able to get your car serviced? You know, I've seen some dealerships actually post all of their civic activities on a big billboard in their showroom, showing that yeah, we're civically active. So this is something that they hope that the customer will appreciate. Oh, these people do a lot of good work with United Way and and. Um, cars for kids and whatever else. You know, these are things that will say to folks that, okay, I like the salesperson. I like this dealership. I like what they're involved in and the way they treat their customers. And they'll take you more seriously, right? And obviously the customer came in to buy a product or to at least look at a product, investigate the features and benefits of that product. And so does the salesperson know their product? And are they tailoring 
that presentation to what the customer needs. You know, there's no sense talking about horsepower and whether you can smoke the tires on a vehicle if they're buying a minivan. And a lot of salespeople focus on the things that interest them, like horsepower and torque and towing and stuff like that, when, you know, the housewife, she just wants her kids to be safe. So asking really good questions on the front end leads to uh, basically the outline for your presentation. And then there are many other things that, that can, customers need to know about that they may have been totally off their radar, but it adds value to the vehicle, and that's, that's what a good salesperson does. So hopefully when you go out and shop for a car, you'll run into somebody that was trained by me. You know, there are a bunch of them out there, uh, more, more than you could count on like 50 hands. Uh, I've trained a lot of people, and they've gone on. many of them have gone on to great careers and, and are running car dealerships now, and that makes me happy. Because, uh, no, I mean, I don't like the fact that they don't work for me anymore, but sometimes people just have higher aspirations than what I can give them. And that makes sense, doesn't it? So hopefully the next person you run into will have the skill set to be able to make your car buying experience a great one. Okay, I'll be back in just a minute. Too many people put up with too much crap, and they, they are not being treated right. Uh, the salesperson doesn't know what they're talking about. That they're pushy, you know. They keep wanting to talk about the monthly payment and your credit and all that kind of stuff. And you know what they're doing? They're taking shortcuts. Uh, they realize that if they get can get somebody off on monthly payment or, you know, just thinking about the numbers and getting closer to actually driving off in the vehicle, that they'll make more money and and maybe sell the car faster, and they won't have to go through all the product knowledge and stuff. They just don't want to work that hard. There's probably, I don't know, 10% of the salespeople that do it right. And the rest of them, it's definitely not a career for them. You know, this is just a stopping place on their path to greatness. I'm kidding. So you just have, hopefully you get lucky. I've told many people the best person to ask, who's your best salesperson, uh, is to go ask the telephone operator because she knows she knows who, uh, she watches a lot of what's going on in the floor. She's gr- a great observer of behaviors. And if you ask her or him, uh, who's the best salesperson, who, who do I need to talk to? Who's the best salesperson that you have and does a really good job? Because I want to know a lot about the cars. I don't like them to be real pushy. Well, I talk to Jim. And so you talk to Jim and it ends up being a great experience. I don't know, just another tip from the guru. Well, thanks for listening to this edition, and we'll see you next time.